as that video begins to speed up, do you get the heart palpitations? Do you feel, do you feel it? Every time I see that, I, I can feel it. This is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the most wonderful time of the year, right? That's what Bing Crosby told me. That's what I believe. Uh, but at the same time, as we've talked about so often over the last few weeks, it's also the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good looking guy, right? I, so if, for those of you that don't know about me riding the bull this week, you may or may not have seen a video of it. The video you saw, I promise, was in slow motion. The bull was going much, much faster than that when it actually happened. Um, That was at our Christmas party this year. Another opportunity for us as a staff to kind of celebrate the season. But at the same time, it's this season because often of those Christmas parties, of those obligations, of those uh, kind of things that are added to our calendar, the anxiety that it produces, all of the things that we have to do that this season can turn into a time that we are reminded mostly of our busyness, the chaos of the world that spins around us, the brokenness in our own lives. During this Advent season, as we light these candles each week, as we prepare our souls and our hearts and our minds for the arrival of the Christ child, we want to reclaim this season. We want to remind ourselves of the gift, the greatest gift the world has ever known, the gift of Jesus, and the things that can be very present in our lives today because of that gift. A couple of weeks ago, We looked at the fact that we can know real stability, a solid foundation upon which to stand as the world spins around us. Last week, we looked at contentment. This thing that we're so desperately chasing after, this thing that we're reminded that we're missing during this holiday season. And the fact that through Jesus, we can know real lasting contentment that fills us up not only today, but eternally. And this week, we get to look at confidence. The idea that through Christ, we can know and live a life of real lasting confidence. Now, now, confidence is used in a lot of different ways. Um, psychologists will tell us that there are kind of two general types of confidence. The first type of confidence is an interpersonal confidence, you know, often um, viewed as self-confidence, something that happens internally. It's that confidence that manifests itself in, in solid eye contact, in a firm handshake, in a clear strong tone of voice as we're talking to people. It's that confidence that we desperately desire in ourselves, we look for in others. As a matter of fact, survey after survey after survey has been done with women asking what they look for in a partner, in a mate, in a spouse. 
And the characteristic that rises to the top time and time again, it's not a physical characteristic, it's not attractiveness, it's not even stability, it's not um, kindness, warmth. All those things are important, all those things are there. But time and time again, the characteristic that rises to the top is confidence. We're drawn to it, we respect it. You know, it's that, that, that interpersonal confidence is, is you know, when, when, you're, when, you're at the, when you're at the bar and the guy, you know, he gives you the smolder and it's, you know, it's, it's effortless yet strong. And there's just something about that confidence that we're drawn to. The other type of confidence is, is more of a, a concrete material confidence, it is a certainty in an outcome. It's a confidence in, in things that are outside of ourselves. It's a confidence that occurs when, when we are absolutely certain of the way a situation is going to turn out. It's the confidence that, uh, that Alabama fans must feel on a Saturday morning, right? I would, as a Vandy fan, I would have no idea Anything about that confidence? Um, It's the confidence that you have when you read uh, an autobiography about a personality, a historical figure that you're very familiar with. It's the confidence you have when you read a a Civil War book. You know how it turns out. You've read the last page. You know how this thing ends. Now, you may be unaware of some of the twists and some of the turns, but you're confident in the story. The problem with confidence is it's something we all desire, but it tends to be so fleeting. The reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are confident all of the time. As a matter of fact, even that guy with the smolder that walks into the room and everybody looks at him because you have the sense that he owns the place, even that guy is largely faking it. With most of us, there's the voice inside constantly telling us, I'm going to be found out. I have no idea what I'm doing. Eventually, this house of cards I have built will crumble. We can have confidence for a moment But it's fleeting. And as the world spins around us, as the foundation upon which we built our confidence shifts, that confidence is shaken and eventually crumbles. The reason is the foundation upon which we have built our confidence is in and of itself unstable. Now, this morning we get to look at the source of real, lasting confidence. If you want to turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the fourth chapter. We're going to read a passage in just a moment. Now, this book of Hebrews is an unbelievable, multi-layered, gorgeous work of theology. The author of Hebrews begins the letter and spends the first few chapters 
building up, unpacking the superiority of Christ. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, when we started our Advent Sermon Series, we looked at stability, and we started with those first four verses of the book of Hebrews. This reality that Jesus Christ is the reflection, the radiance of the glory and majesty of God. He is the fullness of God. He is the final word of God. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of God's promises. As the author of Hebrews establishes that superiority of Jesus Christ that gives us that stability in which we find contentment. Here at the end of the fourth chapter, we find this pivotal passage. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? We're going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Father, we are grateful for your words. Speak truth to us this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God... The author of Hebrews, who wrote this letter to Israel, God's chosen people, to the Hebrews, that phrase would have been unbelievably descriptive and powerful and impactful. In 2018, in East Nashville, it loses a little bit of that impact because the reality is we have no idea what a high priest is. None of us have, never, have ever known a high priest We don't have a high priest here in Tennessee. We don't really know the function of a high priest. You see, back in the ancient Near East, the Israelites had a high priest. It started with Moses' brother Aaron. And he established this position, which was singularly important within the nation of Israel. There was one high priest at a time. It was a lifetime appointment. The high priest had to be uh, without fault. That, that, that included physically. He couldn't have any physical defects. He had to be healthy. He also had to remain pure and clean. There were specific purity laws that went along with the high priest. The high priest couldn't, he couldn't ever touch a dead body, including his parents, which means he couldn't 
bury his own parents because he had to remain pure and clean. Now, this high priest had various functions. Uh, He was over all of the other priests. He ministered to them. He held them accountable. Uh, He had to be involved in various religious ceremonies, high holy days throughout the year. But the most important duty of the high priest in Israel under the Old Covenant came once a year on the Day of Atonement. It was that one day a year that the high priest and the high priest alone would enter all the way into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, where God himself dwelt. The high priest would enter into the presence of God, It was so serious that only the high priest could enter into this presence. They would tie a rope around his waist to where if something happened, while he was there, they could pull him out. Because no one else could enter into the presence of God. And the high priest on this one day a year, the Day of Atonement, would go enter into the presence of God and offer a pure and perfect sacrifice that would atone, that would pay the price for the sins of him, his family, and the entire nation of Israel. So the high priest, the only man that could enter into the presence of God, would then offer this perfect sacrifice so that the sins of the entire nation were cleansed. When the Hebrews would read this verse... We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. They would recognize exactly what that meant. Jesus is now our great high priest that enters into the presence of God, offering a sacrifice for our sins. Now, we see throughout the book of Hebrews, throughout the next few chapters, the differences between, between Jesus the high priest and the high priest of the Old Covenant, the high priest of the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 9, verse 12. Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, Jesus as our high priest He's not a lifetime appointment. He's an eternal appointment. He's the great high priest today and forever. We can now enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ as he has torn down that veil. It's not once a year. It's every day and for all time. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 15 to say, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So here we have a high priest, an eternal high priest, that has torn down the veil. Through him we can enter in to the presence of the creator of the universe. And yet, this high priest isn't some nameless faceless man that we will never know, that we will never meet. He is one that sympathizes with us. That word sympathy can be translated to suffer alongside. He is one 
that knows what we're going through because he has been there. He has been tempted in every way we are tempted. When we approach Jesus Christ, our great high priest, he gets it. He understands. Is there a better feeling in the world than sitting down with someone that you love and that you trust? And being in that, that intimate place, that vulnerable place, and, and all of your doubts and all of your fears, all of these dark secrets that you have completely bottled up and you're terrified to let the world see, suddenly the dam breaks and they come rushing out. And the person that you're talking to isn't shocked. They're not afraid. They can look you in the eye and say, I get it. We have a great high priest who gets it. He is not afraid of our doubts. He is not afraid of our brokenness. He does not run the other way. When we bring our true selves to him. Because he is able to walk alongside us because he's been there. He's experienced it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Verse 16. Therefore, because of that, because of this eternal high priest that gives us access to the creator of the universe, one that sympathizes with us. Because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That word boldness can be translated confidence. We have a high priest that knows us. We have a high priest that has made the perfect eternal sacrifice by his own blood. Because of that, allow us to approach the throne of grace, to enter into the presence of God with confidence. Now, that word approach... In the original language, the verb tense indicates a continual, ongoing, drawing near to God. It's not something that happens once. This isn't a day of atonement. This isn't one day a year you get this access. This is every moment of every day for the rest of your life. You don't have to carry around that guilt 
until somebody does something about it. In Christ, our sins have been atoned for. In Christ, the penalty for our sins have been paid. Past sins, present sins, future sins. Because in Christ, covered in his blood, we can enter into the presence of God being declared righteous, holy, blameless. We no longer have to worry about the eternal outcome. We've read the last page. We know how it turns out. Therefore, we can bring our brokenness, we can bring our doubts, we can bring our fears, and do so with confidence. Where have you been seeking your confidence? If it truly is something that we all desire in ourself, where do you find it? Is it in your careers and your success? Is it in your kids and their success? Is it, is it in the way those around you affirm you, the compliments that you receive, the way other people look at you? Is it in your relationships, friendships? How many people want to be around you? Do you find it in sex, that moment that you feel wanted and desired. When does your confidence fail? Deep down inside when you have that conversation with yourself and and you admit to yourself that as successful as you are, it just doesn't fill you up in the way you thought that it would. You sit at home in the dark and admit to yourself that your kids aren't nearly as perfect as the stories you tell to all your friends. Your relationships are hard and they're messy. That moment last weekend when you felt desired and wanted, as soon as it was over, You felt used up and thrown away? In that second chapter of Jeremiah, as God says, the nation of Israel, my people, they've committed two sins against me. Not only did they turn their back on me, the source of living water, But they built man-made cisterns filled with cracks that will never hold water.
as we desperately seek a source of confidence in our lives, every one of us comes to that place of recognizing these things that we're placing our confidence in are so full of cracks and they will never hold water. And then your sin begins to tell you that you have no business drawing near to God. You have just failed him too many times. The world tells you that you're too filthy. You're unworthy. You're a hypocrite. People within the church tell you that you're not good enough. You haven't done enough to be worthy to enter into the presence of God. How long have you felt unworthy? How long have you felt condemned? If that's where you are this morning, I have got the best news for you. You have a great high priest. You have a great high priest in Jesus Christ that has already petitioned the Father on your behalf. He has torn down the veil and paved the way for you to enter into the presence of God. For you to approach the throne with absolute confidence. Because you were covered in his blood and you know how the story ends. It is my desperate prayer for you this morning. That over the next days and weeks, as you travel around and you see a star on top of the tree, you see a nativity scene with that baby in that manger as you sing joy to the world, as you sing hark the herald angels sing, you hear these words. Hark the herald angels sing. Let earth receive her king. I pray over the next few weeks as you recognize you can approach the throne with confidence. That you hear that God and sinner has been reconciled today and every day. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful beyond words 
for the greatest gift mankind has ever known, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful that his story did not end in a stable in a manger, that his story did not end on a cross. but that he is our eternal great high priest and he has torn down the veil so that we may enter into your presence. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.